February 21st, 2024. We're continuing tonight in Moren Vuchim. Uh, if you recall, we last week finished the book for all intents and purposes, reading from the last two chapters in Chalikimal. I'd like to now push us backward. We, of course, haven't read nearly all of the book, and there's plenty more to develop, understand, and learn together. Uh, specifically for tonight, I'd like to learn together with you from most of Helegimal Perik Memhe. We even talked about the earlier part of this chapter, which we're not even going to address again in an earlier class, I think the eighth in this series of More Nebuchim. I'd like to talk about the rest of it tonight, which we alluded to already. Why is it relevant to now? Well, first and foremost, there will be a connection to last week's class, but more fu- fundamentally, more simply, uh, this perik is what deals with the utensils of the Mishkan and deals with the uh, garb of the Kohen and the Kohen Gadol, which of course are the topic of these week's parashot, last week Terumah, this week Tesaveh. I thought it a good opportunity. There's a good way of segueing it from last week to this, and generally speaking, a relevant topic. But the way that I'd like to learn this together with you is by first reading some Pesukim at the end of Parashat Yitro. Because without saying it, Harambam, in the passages we'll read, is really just giving a commentary to these Pesukim. He builds his whole chapter around, for all intents and purposes, these Pesukim. His somewhat unique, although I looked at some of the, several of the uh, um, traditional mefarshim, uh, um, someone like Ibn Ezra and Abeno Sa'adiagon, they hint at different uh, sorts of messages along the same lines of his, but Harambam has this clear picture of everything that's taking place over here, which really drives, as I understand it, his message, his description, his teachings in this perik. So here it is at the end of Parashat Yitron, Shemot Perik Kaf. What happens is, uh, Parashat Yitro, of course, describes Ma'amad Har Sinai. In the aftermath of it, well, there's final Pesukim. Always feels a little anticlimactic. You went from Ma'amad Har Sinai, a prophetic experience felt by the nation on a grand scale, even with Harambam and More's description of it. Still something significant. The Pesukim describe how the people are trembling and standing from afar. And then you finish it. What could you, your parting message, so to speak? Speak to Am Yisrael and tell them, you saw that I spoke to you from the heavens. We focused on this Pasuk on another occasion as well from the More. But, Lo ta'asun iti, it's a hard pasuk the way I read it, which is really the way the ta'amim work. It says, Lo ta'asun iti. Pause. What's that first part of the pasuk referring to? But without getting into the grammar and the specifics over here, let's just understand in its most basic sense. It's a command to the people not to craft Elohe, again, uh, God with lowercase g, kesef uh, and zahav, Gold and silver. Pause for a second. Uh, of course, says A.B., this, I mean, you couldn't find a better uh, foreshadowing for what's to come at the Egil, but along the same lines, and just as difficult, Rashi picks out, well, what about those things on top of the Aron? They were called the Kirubim. They were made out of gold. How do you explain that? 
So interestingly, Rashi, according from the Hachamim here, it's on probably the next page over there, he writes, and I'd like to focus on some of these Rashis just for contrast to Harambam, because keep in mind what we're dealing with is a difficulty, a glaring difficulty in text. The final lines of command with regards to call it Ben Adam Lamakom before Parashat Mishpatim, which is generally speaking between man and neighbor, you know, Ben Adam Lachavero, is don't craft Eloi Chesef Velohe Zahav. And then, well, some p- chapters later, Pere Cafe, by the way, make an ark and put on top of it these golden cherubs. Indeed. Rashi, Lo ta'asun iti, lo ta'asun demut shamashai hamishamashim lefanai bamarom. So again, Rashi is, is realizing without telling us that there's an, what we call an atnah. Lo ta'asun iti, stop. What shouldn't you make with me? So that's what she says. That's a reference to you're making molden uh, or whatever. You're making images of the sun and moon and things of that sort. Okay. Additionally, Eloi Kesef, Eloi Zahav. Eloi Kesef, says Rashi, Bala hazhir al hakirubim, shata'ose la'amoditi shelo yushel kesef. You should know these words in the Pasuk. Don't make silver gods, lowercase g, oh, that's coming to tell you if you're going to make kirubim, cherubs, make certain that they're made out of gold, not out of silver. I mean, can you imagine that? Maybe just ignore the kirubim over here. No, no, no. You should know that's a reference to make certain that you make the kirubim right. If you make them in silver fashion in the future at any point, that's going to be avodah zarah. Also referring to the Kirubim. Make certain that you don't make many lowercase g gods, only two. Oh, it's an amazing dirash of the rabbis. The rabbis understand this as not a difficulty with regards to, which of course is the, un, is the background to it. Uh, how do you explain the Kirubim? No, oh, this is describing the caution that surrounds the kirubim. Make certain that you don't make them out of silver. Make certain that you don't make more than two. I just have a very basic, simple question. I'm raising my hand here. Hey, God, why do we have kirubim at all? I mean, you give me so many restrictions, so many guidelines, so many details and ingredients for Make certain it's like this. Anything else is gone. So then why did you tell me to do them at all? That's an interesting thing to debate and to deal with. You'll see in a few moments how Harambam, in my opinion, flips everything on its head. For Harambam, well, we'll see. Okay, the Pesukim continue. Mizbah adamat ha'aseli v'zavacht ha'alav et olotecha pasukaf alafet shelamecha etzonecha vet pekarecha b'chol ha'makom ashir azkiret shemi aboi lecha uberachticha You should make a, from the ground, altar, and on it you should slaughter and bring your different sacrifices. Last words in the Pasuk are very interesting as well. We read about that in the Morea. I, as a matter of fact, in preparing, looked at Rabbeinu Avraham ben Harambam's commentary over there. He interestingly finds in this like a remes for tefillah even, which is interesting. Okay, regardless, the havanim ta'aseli, and then the Pasuk seemingly says, you should make it out of ground, out of clay, out of dirt. If you made the altar out of rocks, that's the way it reads in its most simple sense. The rabbis do not read it that way. Rashi will already tell us that. The rabbis say, Im over here is telling you when you should make it out of stone. Well, how do I, so what was the last pasuk? The last pasuk said, make it out of uh, earth. Oh, it goes like this. If you make it out of stone, make certain that it's on earth. It's connected to the ground as opposed to separate from it. That's the rabbis reading. Interestingly, although we wouldn't, won't be surprised by this, Harambam in the More will say, he told it to us from the beginning, 
I'm learning Torah Bichtav together with you. I'm well aware that the rabbis interpret things differently, but this sounds like, ideally like this, if you did it like that. It's really the way the Pesukim read. Make it out of earth. If you make it out of stone, here's your restrictions. The rabbis, for one reason or another, don't read it that way. I'm just alluding to the fact that Harambam is like very much a Pashtan on this. Okay, anyway, if you do make the altar out of rocks, out of stones, make certain that they are not hewed. In other words, you haven't chiseled, you haven't cut them and crafted them. Not easy words to tra- I mean, to translate, but to conceptually not fully clear, because your sword has been laid upon them and caused them to become profane. Okay, Rashi quotes from the rabbis, which Harambam will, but Harambam will say this is a derasha, not the simple interpretation. Rashi quotes from the rabbis, it's a Mishnah, as a matter of fact, that it goes like this. The, sa- the same sword, which shortens life, is going to be used on stones which are crafting an altar which elongates life? Inappropriate. Don't use a life-shortening instrument, killing instrument sword, on an altar, on a mizbeach, which gives you long life. Nice derasha. You know the Chinese, that's why the Chinese have chopsticks and they don't have a spoon. They have no. a porcelain spoon. Those instruments of war. No kidding. Fascinating. So the derasha of the hachamim says, says Ebi, is kind of the way people live, that... Chinese people, he says, when they use chopsticks, are using it specifically because the utensils were seen, I guess historically, as, as instruments of war. You're not going to use the same thing which is giving you nutrients for a long life, um, which that same item which is used, generally speaking, to take away life. Okay. Uh, so again, fundamentally, if we're to count, you know, kind of what happened over here, we have two concepts, among others. But number one, don't craft any images. That would be Avodah Zarah, according to the rabbi, specifically referring to the Kirubim restrictions. And then instructions on what and how to make the Mizbeach. Lastly, make certain that you don't have what uh, steps for the Mizbeach. Why not? Uh, because you, through steps, you would be revealing your nakedness. But, Rashi, the rabbis asked the, in Perek Kafhet, not too long, this week's parasha, parasha Tesaveh, there's instruction for all the Kwanim to wear what's called Mechnasayim, long pants. You're not really going to expose your nakedness, even if you're wearing a robe on top while walking up steps. Say so the rabbis, it's another image over here. It's that you shouldn't be walking too quickly up. It's, in other words, yeah, you're not actually going to expose. But if you're rushing and running up, uh, that's the reference over here. So, When you walk really quickly, it's similar to, it's along the lines of the rash behavior during the times of sexual promiscuity. Okay, that's what we have with regards to these final Pesukim Parashat Yitro. Sounds like, feels like coming out of left field. This is not a parasha class. However, those are very significant as the backdrop to, although he doesn't tell us this, Harambam's words in this chapter with regards to his general and full picture of what Mishkan and even Mikdash really was and are about. So if you'll turn here to Helegimal, Perek Memhe, page 602. Topic, again, the earlier part of the chapter, which again we focused on at one point, he mentioned, among other things, Har HaMoriah, how Avraham determined that place. 
as the place where he would bring Yitzhak in a moment of encounter and prophetic inspiration from God, and even uh, call it a, a prophetic um, apprehension, right, for Haram Bamitz that he understood. And we zoned in on that, as we will briefly now again, and realized that's an amazing thing. Avraham chose Haram Moriah. Okay, that's interesting. Number two, Harambam's reasoning for why he chose it. He must have chosen it because it was very spiritual. He must have chosen it because it was a... No, says Harambam. He chose it because it countered the ways of the pagan idolaters with regards to the places they would choose. And Avraham understood the direction to pray in or to focus his energy to God as the opposite of their way, etc. Okay, interesting. It means there's no inherent nature. That's what we were stressing in our earlier conversations in the More, it's not about a kiddushat hamakom, quote-unquote, sanctity of place. It's about, pragmatically, in connecting to God, we choose properly. What we mentioned then, and even stressed, is that for Harambam, through and through, that essence, that uh, idea of there's a sanctity which just is, the under just exists, that's no, no such concept in Maimonidean thought. For him, everything is what we achieve. Everything is a mode, a vehicle for understanding, for connectedness in a spiritual, intellectual, emotional way to God. And as a result, ironically, we said then, and we'll really read it fully now, even a place known as the Mikdash does not have what you and I perhaps assume is called Kedushah. For Harambam, there's no inherent nature of sanctity. It's rather a place where I will be apprehended or rather comprehended by you. It's the place where you will connect to me. Not because, quote-unquote, my presence just will be there because you made this. There's some sort of mystical, magical thing that uh, I will um, be myself like a like the Midrash even uses that language. Harambam's vision of that is that might be a certain, a pro, a certain a proverb of sorts. So it's not the concept being not to be taken literally, but rather it's the right place for achieving a connectedness to God. And he will take us through the Mishkan's function through and through in that sense. It's for human beings' purpose to find God and, most importantly, distance yourselves from Abu Dazara. That's it. He'll address the Aron, he'll address it all. Okay, so on page 602 over here, uh, in the, uh, what, I guess, third paragraph, where it starts with Yadua, next to footnote 14. Yadua Shehalalu Hayu, he's referring to the uh, idolaters. Hayu bonim mikdashim lekochavim matzivim beoto mikdash et hatsura shuhuskam la'ovda. He says it's well known that the idolaters, the pagan worshippers, used to build their temple, and in their temple they would place the image or the graven image of that which they were worshipping. Klomar, surah hamiyuhasit lekochav kol shehu ol helek migalgal. They would place a picture of the star or of the planet or whatever it is that they were in their mind worshipping. Lachen, therefore, nitzdavinu anu. Therefore, there's no, there's no apologetics here, says Hanabam. Therefore, God commanded, parallel to what they do, this is what we were to do. Leave not lo yitala mikdash. Build a temple, build a tabernacle, a mishkan. Ulehafkid bo et ha'aron. And to uh, designate in it an aron, an ark. Asher bo shene haluchot. In that ark, there would be two tablets. 
it sounds a lot like theirs. I mean, what do you mean? It's kind of, Hakolilim, those tablets had on them, just be mindful of. Anochi Adonai Elohecha, velo yelecha Elohim Elacherim Alpanai. Adamah mentions that the tablets, the Luchot, had two, well, he only tells you two, of the Ten Commandments. Why does he mention those two? Because that's his point. He says the point of having Luchot at the center of the Mishkan, for all intents and purposes, in the Ark, in the Aron, was to counter their way. What do you mean to counter their ways? I look at those Luchot and I see the Divine. I see a part of the... T- no, no, no. Did you read what's on those tablets? The tablets say there's only one God. The tablets say you won't have a physical God on my hand. There was no such other thing. In other words, it's the complete opposite. The pagans, the idolaters, those worshippers, what they do is they take the image and they have it and then they'll worship it. You, yeah, yeah, you'll have tablets. Quote, unquote. He doesn't say this. He doesn't mean it. But you're going to be inspired. Let me worship. No, no, don't. Why don't you just read the first two lines? First two lines say there's only one God. Second line says, don't have other gods on my hands. And Saharam Bam says the whole purpose of this Aron and the Luchot in it was to counter Avodah Zarah, to give you a place where you could focus on truth as opposed to their ways. Now Hanambam gets a little bit philosophical, as we'd like him to be, and he says, it's well known that you need to have a certain trust, a certain acceptance of prophecy before you have acceptance and trust in Torah. Which, of course, is understood. In other words, if I don't accept that the Torah is somewhat prophetically or fully prophetically inspired or given and driven, well, why am I accepting the Torah? I have to begin with, well, Moshe and the other prophets received prophecy. If there was no prophet, then we didn't get the word of God. Um, says Harambam, furthermore, he says the only way that a prophet receives his prophecy, a Navi gets his nevoah, is through what he calls a malach. Earlier in the Moreh, Harambam was more, and I don't want to get into the nitty-gritty on this, more specific on what that means, a malach. Suffice it to say it has to do with what he calls the separate intellects. Right? So in other words, it's different levels of understanding. It's not, although he'll address... Briefly, you know, the way you, not you, the way I imagine angels. I imagine angels, obviously, as having wings and kind of, you know, looking like some flying thing. Uh, not really, that's the way people think about it. It's the way the prophets speak to us about angels. Regardless, says Harambam, the only way to achieve prophecies through uh, malachim, through, again, separate intellects. I cite several pesukim which of course should be focused upon why these as opposed to others. But for our purpose, we'll just read them. There are so many Pesukim where you'll find that the prophetic encounters through what we call Malach in the Torah. Even the first prophecy of Moshe at the Sene, at the burning bush, was Okay. And says Harambam further, okay, so he's leading us up to something. Prophecy is a prerequisite to accepting Torah. Prophecy comes through angels. Good. So you got to start with the acceptance of angels, separate intellect, which in turn will bring me to the acceptance of prophecy, which then can bring me to, if I go along this path, acceptance of Torah. He's referring to the Avodazara sects, which in his mind, the Torah is purposefully going against. 
וסברו שהנמצא הקדום אשר לא יחול בו העדר כלל הוא הגלגל וכוכביו, ושכוחות שופעים ממנו על הפסילים ועל כמה עצים, he says, and since the, uh, the time of the Torah, the idolaters, didn't accept true divinity, believed that the galaxies and the stars and the planets were the divine, and they showered their forces down upon all sorts of inanimate things along those lines, trees, kilomar ha'asherot, the Torah of course talks about asherah, hem savru shapsilim v'ayetim, hem ha'mashrim hashra'al anevim, they as a result believe that, well, the divine is up there, showers down its force too, its malachim, what is its malachim, trees, והם הפונים אליהם בדיבור בהתקהלות ומלמדים אותם מה מועיל ומה מזיק and then the prophets receive from the trees uh, their prophecy כמו שהבהרנו לך מתפיסותיהם באשר לנביאי הבעל ונביאי האשרה that's הרמב״ם's general understanding very possibly perfectly uh, uh, correct and uh, you know in line with the reality back then this is that's the way they envisioned that they saw this coming down from inanimate to inanimate which in turn showers inspiration to others of course he told us that earlier no question once Avraham and others opened their eyes to the reality and noticed and understood that God has no physicality and the only intermediary so to speak through which God could reach human beings since he lacks physicality would not be physical either either what do we call that malachim, not trees, not rocks, that's how prophecy is achieved. Vehem Hashem Mitsyoto Yitala Shavalehem, Vehem Hamalachim Kmoshifano. Vehola Nimsaima Ele Hem Yahuts Legalgal Kochavim Yadua Bevadusha Malachim Ele Hem Hamashrim Behemetit Galutala Nevim, Velopsilim Hashirot. Okay, so Harambam says, and true understanding, acceptance of how prophecy is received in the genuine, authentic sense is since it comes from God, God has no physicality, He channels it through. Non-physical channels, that of intellect, that of what we call malachim. That's how prophecy is received. Nevoa. Now, says Harambam, at the conclusion of all this convoluted-ish um, philosophical journey, okay, now, at the very least, we made clear, the only way that you can come to this acceptance of true prophecy is through the acceptance of true God. God has no physicality. It means that we receive his word through nothing physical. And that's what leads us to Torah. Here we go. Uh-huh. Therefore, says Harambam, God commanded that you place the image of the way the masses imagine angels. What? On top of the Aaron. What? That's right, he's referring to the Kirubim. He says, God says, because he wants you to understand everything properly, put two Kirubim at the top of the uh, Aaron. For what? Ba'emunat <laughs> 
Because when you look at, the people weren't per se, there's one Gemara Masechet Yomah which suggests that the people sometimes saw the Kerubim. Otherwise, it's the verses tell us that there were Kerubim. And for all intents and purposes, they never saw the Kerubim. But the image of those Kerubim, the concept of those Kerubim was supposed to be, says Harambam, to remind the people about the angelic forces through which you have prophecy, which means that you're receiving from God who doesn't have physicality, as opposed to from the galaxies which are physical, or not the galaxies, the, the stars and which are showering it upon trees, etc. That's the purpose of these kerubim. He continues, so why not just have one kerub? Again, do you understand what he just did? Whether, you're, whether you believe it's a compelling argument or not, you have to understand what he just did. He read the Pesukim that we began the class with, right? We were bothered. Rashi, the rabbis were bothered. How does this square with the Kirubim? Don't have molten images of gold or silver. Says Harambam, oh, that's right. You shouldn't. You want to know what's going to remind you that you shouldn't? The Kirubim. What? That's right. The Kirubim will be the images which remind you of angels, which make you realize that anything physical is not divine or not connected to the divine. That will instill within you an anti-Avodazara uh, picture. Says Harambam, and realize two Kirubim. If it was one Kirub, it would be confusing. If there was just one Kirub, if there was just one angelic being at the top of the Aaron, it would mislead people. People would think, that is God. That's what we're worshipping. It's like the star. It's like the planet and the Avodah places. Or they would say that it's a part of God. Bring us to what's called Shitufumikevanshinasushinekirubim. Okay, that being the case, now that there are two kirubim, supposed to be uh, images or rem, r- r- sim- symbolic of angels, provided that we accept at the same time there is just one God. Okay, so I look at them and I say, they can't be God. Why can't they be God? Because I know Hashem Elkein Hashem Echad is only one God. So then what are they? Well, they're not God. Oh, they look like angels. Oh my goodness, if they're like angels, that reminds me, that's how we receive God's word. He doesn't quote it here, and that's what the Pesukim say. Where did prophecy emanate from? It's perfect. God's prophetic um uh, what's it called? Picture, message came from between the Kirubim. Understand, accept true prophecy will lead you to accept true divinity, will lead you to accept the uh, the, the denial of Avodah Zarah. That's the purpose of the Mishkan. What has he done for us thus far then? Harambam has told us number one, the Aaron with the Luchot, anti Avodah Zarah. Number two, the Kirubim, the very misleading part. No, no, no. It's only misleading for me and you because we don't think like that. You thought like people back then. With knowledge of Hashem Elkin Hashem Echad, that's what we would have. All right, so we got some of the imagery of the Mishkan according to Harambam. Go ahead. Okay, this, I, I don't know why he has to go through such a lengthy thing. Why doesn't this flow through to his same understanding of Korbanot? This is how they practice. You had to have Kirovim. 
It's too, it's, it's too rough. You see, because korbanot, what he does with korbanot, if we, it's kind of, but it's not fully. Because with korbanot, just remember, everything with regards to the korbanot, he says, uh, it's a shame, we could do it next, but what he says is, it was because that's what they were used to with regards to worship, hang tight, but God crafted it all as an, anti so you still need an anti so he's admitting to that he's not he keeps telling us this looks like what they had but it's not so he wants to give us what the image is agreed correct correct which kind of by the way leads you back to the rabbi statement in rashi they might harambam certainly I mean, I, I can't say it definitively. I think he would point to the, I think, well, he does it all the time. I think he would point to that Midrash and say, oh, it's saying the same thing as me. Keep in mind, the Midrash said, by the way, if you have more than two, Avodah If you make it out of silver, not out of gold, Avodah because Harambam is very clear about this. This is in the image, in the same place that the Avodah would have done their thing. But for me, says God, if you see this right, and I'm telling you exactly how to do it, It'll take you away from it. So it is. He's very much in line with his korbanot. Harambam, very intricate in telling you, well, what was the exact imagery? Okay. Ahareken hutseva nichecho menora. This, in my opinion, when I discovered this some years ago, on page four, 604 now. When I discovered this some, some years ago, this was for me the most eye-opening experience. Harambam's vision of what the menorah is. Let me just remind you what Rashi not in our text here, the beginning of Parashat Beha'alotecha, a very well-known statement of Rashi. The Pasuk seems to say that the Heir, that Elmul Peneha Menorah, to the center of the Menorah, the candles of the Menorah lit. Rashi says, whoa, whoa, one second, what does that mean? She says, clearly these candles were not to light up the room. That would be misleading to people. People would say, God needs light in his room. Nonsense. Therefore, said God, here's how it's going to work. You're going to light the candelabra, the menorah. All the candles will be pointed inward. All the wicks will be pointed inward. It'll kind of condense the light. If anything, it'll be taking away from light. You'll understand that the imagery of the menorah is anything but a light source in the physical way, giving the room light. Says Harambam, what's that? Oh, that's Harambam, by the way, in this Perik, ironically says, I don't know what the point of that is, which is funny, which is fascinating that he says that. But, indeed, it's interesting point, says Abi, by the way, to Rashi, to the rabbis, and he needs bread, but at the same time, we know that the people were eating the bread, so it's not so crazy. But, in the scheme of things, Harambam takes that Rashi, not literally, not whatever, he doesn't address it, and says, Really? Because I was thinking that's exactly what it is. What does that mean? Before reading it, can you imagine a moment where you want to contemplate, you want to think about and attach yourself to some higher level intellect, i.e. God, you dim the lights, you have a nice candlelit setting where you're able to set your mind and mood in place. That was the menorah. Give the house, meaning the Mishkan, the Mikdash, a certain kabod and higher level feeling. Your soul is affected by the ambiance. That's what he says. It's got the curtain protecting you, giving you a certain space, and it's got lit candles. And be well aware that the Torah is very much highlighting the purpose of this Mishkan 
with regards to us as human beings in terms of elevating its stature, giving it an experiential dimension. It should impress us and give us a certain a piety, a certain modesty. I'm in a grand place. I'm in a setting that gives me a certain feeling. Very much purpose to give the person who comes there a certain feeling. I thought there was matters of essence. Harambam is running away from any matters of essence. There's no representation with regards to godliness. It's all, how will this impress you? What will it do for you? Hu amar, indeed, the Pasuk says, The Torah seems to put close one to another in Parashat Kedoshim, Shabbat and the Mikdash, the same way we honor and safeguard the sanctity of Shabbat, so to the Mikdash, who karach zot b'shmirat Shabbat k'delatish et yirat ha-Mikdash. Next, Hatsorech b'mizbah ha-Ktoret b'mizbah ha-Ola, u'kleh ha-Kibur shalahem barur. Says Harambam, the purpose of the Mizbah, from which the Ktoret would be brought in morning and evening, and the Mizbah ha-Ola, which you would sacrifice, all that you know. He doesn't explain what he means. He probably means that was the worship. I mean, straightforward. He'll, as a matter of fact, interestingly, later in the Perek, say, you want to know what the purpose of Ketoret was? Can, can we guess this one already? You walked into a, maybe you haven't, a slaughterhouse. It stinks. It's a putrid feel, smell. It's a terrible odor in the air. You don't want to be there. You certainly are not thinking high-level thoughts. The ketoret was to spread the room with good odors. You didn't want the place which was going to naturally smell terrible terrible for human beings to smell like that. That was the purpose of the ketoret. That's what he writes. Again, over here, he's giving you a certain a certain worship, a certain pulhan direction. Aval eni ta'am I'm not certain, he writes, the reason for the shulchan. Why they needed lechem panim lefanai tamid. Until today, I'm not 100% certain what to attribute that to. Why he leaves it like that, because he was a lot more creative than me and you will ever be, and he could have come up with easy explanations, anti-Avodah Zarah things or whatever. Not 100% certain. Another conversation, another time. Continues, Harambab. Okay, so what have we addressed in terms of our text that we began the class with? The first segment. The first segment was the Kirubim type of segment, right? And that was, it'll be the anti-Avodah Zarah. The next part in those Pesukim, if you recall, was that the altar, the Mizbeach, should not be made out of hewn stones. Let me talk about that next. He's really, he's, I think this chapter is, is really, if you read it carefully, it's just, it's centered around those Pesukim. Those Pesukim, ironically or not so, are the introduction to Mishkan. You finish Ma'amad Har Sinai, now the Torah, in its, what I call the anticlimactic, maybe yes, maybe no, but it introduces you now to what a Mishkan can and should represent. I'm not telling you it needs to be a Mishkan in the Torah yet, but representative of Anti Okay. This is what I quoted from Rashi, from the Mishnah. The Chinese chopsticks, if you will. Right? In other words, it's inappropriate that you use a, a, a sword which takes away life, which shortens life, on a Mizbeach, which will give a longer life. It's a nice derasha. It's a good speech. Good class, but it's not the truth. It's not the Peshat, says Harambam, in terms of the intent. I'll tell you the real reason. It's clear. 
the worshippers of Abu Dazara, the pagan idolaters, uh, they used to build altars which were made out of hewn stones. That's it. Nothing more and nothing less. So the Torah, therefore, he's going to tell us, says, ideally, distance yourself as much as you can. Make it out of earth. You can't do that. It's got to be out of rocks. Okay, at least don't hew them. At least don't let it be really like... The Torah is telling you, don't be like the the idolaters. It should ideally be made out of uh, mud. That's what I told you, how he's reading the Pesukim. It's not the way the rabbis say it. You can't. You have to make it out of rocks. Let them be natural and organic. There are different violations mentioned in the Torah. Prohibition of even maskit, which is a rock on the floor that you can't bow down on. It's only permitted in the, in the Mishkan, in the Mikdash, not outside of it. Along the ways of the way the, the idolaters would do it. They would put the image on the rock and then they would bow on it. And then having a, a, a tree next to the Mizbeach, Similar Asherah, the way they would do those things. The purpose of all that I mentioned in this paragraph and the whole thing with regards to Mishkan is one. Don't worship God the way they do. Negate that. In truth, there is a general statement in Devarim and it says, The Pasuk says that you're going to say, How do they do it? I want to do it that way as well. Don't do that to God. And so forth. He's making his way to the last part of this chapter. He says it explicitly. So what did he do? Again, Perekaf, Shemot, he told us the first part. But yes, Kirubim, because it'll take you away from that. He told you the Avanim, don't let them be Gazit, don't let them be chiseled, hewn stones. And instead, it should ideally, in his words, be uh, mud. Lastly, remember the last part of the, of the chapter of, of, of Parashat Yitro? What was the last part? Oh, make certain that you don't have steps on the Mizbeach. What's the purpose of that? Do you know the way that they used to worship an uh, idol known as Peor? They used to expose themselves. Oh my goodness, can you believe it? That's why the Torah says, make certain that you distance yourself as much as you can from exposure in the context of worship of God. For that reason, there's an utmost and utter clear warning in the Torah, make certain no exposure. Distance yourself as much as you can from Azara. Okay, that was in and of itself significant. Might be not too novel for you if you know Harambam's type, type of thought. You could have guessed some of these, but he's very clearly making his point that Mishkan, again, it taps into an old theme of ours in terms of essence. This Kedushah business is nothing. Don't imagine it as a matter of essence. Understand it as a practical, pragmatic, God-given way of driving you to Him as opposed to the wrongful thoughts. I want to just read a little bit more and make one or two more significant points because I think Harambam now does something very clever. I think, I think I'm not overreading, and if I am, okay, but it's still a beautiful message. I believe that can be gleaned from this. He continues and he says, Hashimira. Tamid 
הבורים והטמאים, ולא במצב של ניבול כמו שיוסבר. And he says, and furthermore, the Mishkan, the specific command, that the Kwanim and the Levim, even not during the time of worship, of service in the Mishkan, they needed to protect it. Uh, why? In order to make certain that not anyone walked in. Again, he's very clearly saying, human beings honor places that they see as being set aside, significant, and important. So, the Mishkan needed to be so. Not because, quote, God needed it. We needed it for ourselves. The purpose is so that we have awe of the place. So that we don't enter when we're drunk. Not uh, impure. You got that? Why, why should we not? Of course, he's alluding to the Nadav and Avihu type of business. Why should we not enter it impure? Well, I'll tell you, maybe there's uh, some sort of inherent underlying something that will happen. and but No. So when you're impure, he doesn't say these words explicitly, he does kind of allude to them elsewhere. It means you weren't mindful. If you weren't mindful, you're not prepared for going into the Mikdash. Therefore, if you're a Tameh, which means you represent the non-mindful state of being, you can't enter into the place where you should have awe and reverence. Velo minuval, and you can't be, uh, you, you can't be, your hair can't be out, you know, you need to be, you need kilomar, parua rosh, karua begadim. Your hair needs to be kempt, and your clothing needs to be put together. Those are his words, and those are pesukim in the Torah. Veshikol oved yikdash yadav v'raglav, and that you clean your hands and your feet. It is interesting to be noted. You see, the bold words in these paragraphs, those are the words that are in the original text. Of course, Moreh Nebuchim was written in Arabic, and this is a translation, but any time it's the actual word that was in his Arabic, in other words, it didn't need to be translate, translated, so Professor Schwartz left it in bold. So Hashemira was a word that Harambam could have written in Arabic. He chose it in Hebrew, the first word in this paragraph, Right, that's interesting in my opinion. And then the final words as well, Veshekol Ovedik Dash He's not quoting a Pasuk over there. And he chose Hebrew words there as well. So the Hebrew word that he chose, what's that? Is that an actual Pasuk? Does the Pasuk say Ovedik Dash Let's read the Pasuk. Shemot I'm not saying it's not a concept that's mentioned in the Pasukim. It's not a Pasuk, is what I'm saying here. Did you hear the word la'avod? Certainly not. So fascinatingly, Harambam's Hebrew words, which he preserved in the text, are shemira and avodah. Those are words which are somewhat, if not entirely, reminiscent of Gan Eden, where we had a command, le'avdah u'shomra. I wonder if he's alluding in some way, and we'll have to pick up if he does this again, to a Gan Eden picture over here in the Mishkan. Now, there is a lot of parallel imagery. Kirubim. Points, absolutely. Abi says he talked about Kirubim. We know Kirubim is only mentioned one other time in the Torah. It's as the uh, the, the safety, uh, um, keeping the entrance to Derech Etz Haim outside of the Gan. Um, there, God places two Kirubim. Uh, there is lots of imagery. There's a lot of linguistic uh, play on this. In Bimidbar Perek Dalit, we've mentioned more than once, in the in the um, responsibilities of the Levim, the word Mishmeret is repeated many times. La'avodul Masai, you have Mishmeret, Shmira, and Avodah there as well. There's lots to be said for that. I believe he's playing with us on that over here already. 
Why would he be doing so? I think he's leading us for something that's coming. And even if he's not, I think it's true in and of itself. You know, if my next message is not right, I think the Duke is right here. I think he's playing already here. He's saying, you know, notice this. Notice the Kiruvim, notice that. He might say, do with it what you want. I think he might do with it what he wants if we read carefully. You should know, in order to make the place significant and important, those who were tasked, they had to have uh, significance as well. Who was tasked? Kohanim and Levim. Kohanim and Levim have a stature, not because they have an inborn, inherent, higher level, but rather because we need the place to be respected by people. Give them a status. We will have awe and reverence. That's what he does. I mean, this is not a book for Kohanim. He's saying, you're just us. This is just the same as us. The Torah says, give him respect. Give him respect. Ironically, Harambam would even basically says this, so that you respect God. This is nothing about the people. Um, that's about it, by the way, with regards to this week's parasha. He says, and that's why they have fancy clothing, or not fancy, that's why they have uh, beautiful clothing. It's splendid clothing. Uh, why do they have clothing of splendor? Because the place and the person and the personality need to give an aura to all those who are there of the awesomeness of God. This week's parasha. That's why a named Kohen can't do worship because it'll throw off the people. He's not inherently bad or inappropriate. Lorak mumim, indeed, today wouldn't work very well. Lorak mumim, elagam minezohama, poslimata kohanim, also all sorts of other uh, problems that they might have in terms of disgustingness of sorts. We can deal with it in the halachot. Because, says Harambam, in the eyes of the masses, we don't respect people for their true form. What's true form of human beings? Intellect. We talked about that last week. Talked about that in the beginning of the book. Rather, what do we give significance to? Shlemut, completion. Remember, we talked about four levels of completeness last week. Shlemut evaraviyofi begadav. Human beings pay attention and care about not true completeness of the mind and intellect, but rather the money or higher than the money, the body and the clothing. These words, basically, these words as well, I believe, are very telling. What Harambam is doing with these words is bringing us back to Helek Aleph, Perik bit, Chalik Alf Perik bit, which we gave out last week, but didn't even read inside, if you recall, addresses the change, the shift in his telling of the Garden of Eden. From a moment beforehand where they perceived emet and sheke, you saw the word ha'amitit over here, true intellectual perception and perfection in the garden. On their way out, they then became immersed in what he calls Tov and Ra. Tov and Ra is the conventional wisdom, what you and I pay attention to, represented by, and he wrote it there, represented by what were Adam and Chava's immediate first reaction? Clothing, the fact that they were naked. Says Arambam, you want to know what the Kohen and the Kohen Gadol were doing? They were playing the role of 
what human beings are once they're out of the garden. In the garden, you can pay attention to true intellect. Outside of the garden, you pay attention to what seems like the right thing. But here's the point, as I understand what Harambam is brilliantly doing over here. He has turned the Mishkan into not, as Ramban Nahmani has it, a microcosm of Har Sinai. It's a microcosm of this world. What do I mean by that? The Mishkan says, I know what distracts you guys. Avodah I'm going to place in here all the ways to get away from that. I know what impresses you. I know what gives you that mindset. The good lights, the pleasant smells. Moreover, the good-looking people. I'll place those there as well. I know that I need to play your game as human beings. I need to go down to your level to negate the Avodah Zarah, to speak to the physical appreciation that you have, to the ambiance, to all that, which is, says Harambam, nothing of essence, but it's the only way I'm going to get you to notice me truly. So Harambam played with this being a Gan Eden. It's an opposite Gan Eden. The Mishkan is a place where you can achieve truth, but I need to play your, you know, Lehavdil. I want to teach um, young children a deep lesson. I can't throw them the deep lesson. I need to condition them. I need to speak their language. I need to give them examples that they can appreciate. I need to give them a, uh, an experience that they appreciate. I can slip in the concept, but I can't inject it directly. The Mishkan was, you can't race to, I mean, you can't race to an understanding of God and emet and sheke in this world as a human being. I need you to play this game. I need to play this game with you, says Harambam. This is a place of le'ovdao le'shomra. I'll bring you to the garden. I'll bring you to emet and sheke, but I need to speak to you for who you are. I'll bring, then why give me sacrifices? Because I need to speak to you for who you are. Somewhere in between there, it's going to slip in. Why are you giving me kirubim? Because, as A.B. said earlier, the other pagans and then idolaters and things of that sort had similar looking things. Okay, this is, you know, this is a real sanctuary. Because you're going to walk in, this is not a real sanctuary. Well, what do you mean? I can find God and you, you, you mean I could just walk into this box room which has nothing in it and that's where I'll find, no, it's not a real, it's a fake thing. No, I need to wear the goods. This reminds me of not too long ago, someone said to me, Whatever, I'm confused about what impresses people and what doesn't. I, you know, once upon a time, and I didn't even do it to impress people, I would come to classes with, with many books. And then people said, it's overwhelming. But, oh, why do you have so many books with you? Okay, so then I tried to remember exactly where the place was, and I did, did it without books. I would put one book on the table and barely look at it. Then someone said to me recently, you know, it'll impress the people. It'll draw them more in if you have more books. All right, whatever it is, it's two different sides of the community. That might be the excellent, that might be the, uh, you know, the yeshuv of the stira. But regardless, what I'm saying is, that's what I see play, playing out over here. How am I going to impress you? You need to be impressed. You, you, I need you to speak your language? No problem. You want the books? I'll give you the books. You don't want the books? I won't give the books. You say that this isn't a real class, if class that has books, here are the books. It's only a real class where I can focus. If it doesn't, I'll give you that. So the Mishkan is a structure to get you back to, as a human being, thought in a proper sense of emit by playing with you. He's just repeating that in many ways. Ironically, he's even saying that's what the Pisukim right after Har Sinai are telling us. Harambam elsewhere in the Moreh even alluded to a well-known statement of the rabbis. 
in the Gemara. He cited this in a different chapter, the context not significant, the fact that he mentioned the Moreh is that at the time of Har Sinai, Paska Zuhamatan, that filth, that poison of the Nahash, understood by Harambam as the descent, so to speak, of human beings from perfect intellect to this worldly wisdom, that went away when we received the Torah. In other words, we tapped into, that's the words of the Gemara, Masech Shabbat, we tapped into truth then. But the end of Parashat Yitro then, in the reading of Harambam, says, this isn't really going to last. We know that. So you had a prophetic experience. Let's even read it as a, as a, as a successful one. I do believe it was. I do believe the Torah tells us it was successful. Harambam's words notwithstanding. It was a success. It was an amazing experience. And Harambam agrees with that as well. He just minimized it a little bit more than we expected him to. But it was an amazing experience. We hit something very high. At the end of the parasha, long before mention of Haita Egel, long before even a Mishkan, God says, guys, you're going to live in this world. You're not going to be at Mount Sinai any longer. Let me give you a microcosm of the Garden of Eden in this world. It's going to play out like this, and he's alluding to the concept of the Mishkan. Okay, let's finish the Perek. I basically gave you my novel novel thoughts on this already. Though Ben Levi, but Harambam didn't give him a chance to say all his words. Ben Levi, what about the Levim? What does the uh, Levi, Levi do? Oh, those are important people. He doesn't bring sacrifices. Don't think he affects or helps you in atonement. So then what's he doing? Well, who is he along those lines? A little bit better. With regards to the Kohanim, it says that they help you in your achieving atonement, whatever that means. So what, what do Levim do? The purpose of Levim is to sing. Why are they singing? It must be because that's the way you bring God's presence. Sure, do you know what that means? That's the way you get spiritual. Play the soft music. Listen to the beautiful melodies. Put yourself in that mindset. Says Harambam, Therefore, Levim who have bad voices, they're out. When they get old and their voice is cracky, crack, crackly, whatever, they're out. That's the halakha. Says Harambam. Of course it is. The whole purpose is for the ambiance. It's for you. It's not, so to speak, an Essence, they sang a song and it changed something. The, the song is in order to impress your, so to speak, soul. You're only going to get it if it's a pleasant sound. And with even instruments. As it was in the Mikdash. In order to enhance the feeling of the place, even the Kohanim who were involved in the worship and service and were kind of encamped in the Mishkan, they couldn't sit there. They couldn't enter into wherever they wanted at all times. Tamid, they certainly couldn't enter into the inner sanctum, the Kodesh HaKodashim at all times. Only the Kohen Gadol four times on Yom Kippur could go in there. For what reason? Why is Vahazara Karev Yumat? Why is it? What's the purpose? Awesomeness, feeling, understanding, intellectual connectedness from that ambiance, from that, dare I call it, tovara of a world of clothing, from that feeling and understanding you're a human being. Here's how this is going to work. In short, what Harambam has set forth for us in this Perek is uh, several significant points. I want to just draw out the, the main points and central ideas that we focused on. Number one, he continued what we talked about earlier, 
this year and last year, and that is that his description, his understanding of Judaism, of Torah better yet, is not one of these like kind of inherent essence business. For Harambam, there's barely, if at all, any such concept in Judaism, even in a place that we call Mikdash, Kedushah means something else. Okay, so then what was the purpose of the Mishkan? It was to give proper thought to distance Avodah Zarah. Point number one. Point number two, the structure of the Perek. Structure of the Perek, he gave us Peshat. He read Pesukim to us. It's an amazing thing. If you read the chapter like that, it's the first time I realized this. Harambam in Perek Memhe is pretty much saying, just read the end of Parashat Yitro. Understand what it's talking about. It starts off with Yisur Avodah Zarah. Felt anticlimactic. No, no, no. Everything that follows thereafter is, here's how you're going to deal with distancing yourself from wrong thoughts, from ways of idolatry. Says Harambam, all of that is the underpinnings of the Mishkan, and that in turn describes everything that took place in the Mishkan, point number two. Point number three, I think Harambam alludes in two or three places to the fact that the Mishkan was a reproduction, but an altogether different one, of Gan Eden. It was a reproduction of a place where you're going to be Oved and Shomer, you're going to achieve truth. However, he purposefully writes, you're going to do it with fake truth. <laughs> what do you mean? That's, that doesn't make any sense. You're going to do it with you, what you believe is true. Because i got to deal with what you believe is true. You believe that fancy clothing is true. You believe that a guy who looks good and doesn't have any blemishes. Is, you believe that the good voices is what makes things signal. I'll put that all in place. Of course, when you get in there, what do I want you thinking? What do I want? I want you away from the Avodah Zarah. So I want to bring you to a life, a connectedness, a spiritual, intellectual status and state of Gan Eden, of Emet and Sheikh, the way I started this book. But I have to do it along the lines of human beings. Like anything and everything else, Harambam is clear in this Perik, as he is in general throughout the Moray with Ta'amiyah Mitzvot and otherwise that the objective of the Torah is to speak to human beings. Human beings, the, uh, the fragile souls and beings that we are, the material essence of our lives, to be honest, needs a lot of fine care with regards to how we can achieve or touch upon truth and understanding of God in our lives. It cannot and will not happen with an intense, direct, class statement or experience, even if, quote-unquote, there was an attempt at Ma'amad Harsinai. It rather needs to come about through careful understanding, sensitive, sensitive appreciation of who human beings are, and then, and only then, might we be successful in this, quote, relationship and understanding of human beings and God. Baruch Adonai Amen Amen.